G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode 141 of the Outback Mine podcast. Thank you very, very much for joining in once again, episode 141. It has been a year since I started this podcast and it just come to me a moment ago, um, yeah, 140 episodes in... Um, in a, it'll be a year next week so uh yeah uh, that's uh that's pretty pretty cool um I, I guess um as i sort of mentioned before I, I don't give myself a pat in the back much but i know this has uh helped a lot of people out there this podcast and it's really been able to deliver some great information to to people around australia particularly uh, you know guys uh um, on farms and, and in regional areas, uh, just to, to get insight into uh, into well being and uh, you know, some tools, tricks, and strategies on how we can you know manage ourselves better in modern life. It's it's really important to be able to sort of seek, not so much seek, but just listen to exp- uh, your stories and experience of others that uh, that can give us uh, some enlightenment when uh, we may be struggling or even when we're not struggling, just to be able to give us uh, the uh, ability to be able to build our capacity and so forth as well, which I think is really important. So today I have a lady on with me by the name of Rachel Hines. Now, Rachel is the Queensland State Manager of what's called the Top Blokes Foundation. Now, what really uh, I, I love is is women that are actually getting involved in the men's health space uh, to be able to provide uh, you know, good uh, content and, and, and information uh, to be able to help guys on uh, along, I should say. And uh, also, you know, I really think it's important for women to be able to give guidance to guys uh, with regards to, uh, you know, how to, um, you know, functionally operate in a relationship, all those types of things. I think it's really important. A lot of us go into relationships and we uh, we fail because we really don't know ourselves. And as I always say, before I say I love you, you first must understand I, and I think it's really important to make sure that, um, you know, if we are uh, in a relationship that we actually, um, you know, understand the other individual and uh, all the things that go around that as well. So um, so we're going to talk a bit about that today and, and also Rachel's own journey and so forth and, um, you know, why it's important to really start to embrace men's health now because it's been neglected for so long. So I'm sure we're going to have a great chat and I really encourage you, uh, you to share this one with others. Um, just want to make a special mention to Green Nutritionals who support the podcast. So if you're lacking something in your diet, I uh, really encourage you to check out their products. They're available at all good health food stores around Australia and also online. Um, awesome products which are sourced from the best places around the world. Uh, Non-synthetic, um, all organic products. So uh, certainly really good for our well-being, physical and mental. So please check out the website, greennutritionals.com.au. Alrighty, uh, thanks for listening in and really uh, uh, encourage you, uh, your feedback uh, to me if you can at uh, support at outbackmind.com.au. G'day Rachel, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Aaron. How are you? Very well. Thanks very much for joining me. Really, uh, really great to, to have some some ladies come along to the podcast, uh, and you know, it's just a, a really good opportunity to be able to mix things up a little bit and and to to be able to uh, provide content and feedback uh, from a female's perspective about men's health and you know everything else around that. So, I really appreciate you know you coming on for a chat and, and everything that you're doing with the Top Blokes Foundation. Thanks for having me, Aaron. It's really exciting to be here. So, tell can you tell me a bit about your own own journey? Like, uh, you, you know, geez, how life sort of evolved for you, and you know, you would probably never have thought when you were back at school that you'd be doing what you're doing now. I wouldn't have thought, but um, 
It's, uh, it's always an interesting thing, life, and how it sort of unfolds for us, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So I actually studied fine art, um, majoring in sculpture, which mm. is fairly far removed from what I do now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but as most artists, um, decided to do my graduate diploma in education, so I became a high school art teacher. Yeah, very good. But, yeah, but pretty quickly moved into... I guess what's commonly known as the alternative education space, so working uh, in SAS schools, special assistance schools, which are predominantly for young people that have been permanently expelled from mainstream Mm. education. Mm. And um, then when I was 25, I lost my brother to suicide Mm. after a very, very long battle um, with chronic mental health issues. And that really, I think when you think about defining moments in your life, I always say there are two. So the first one was that second, my brother took his last breath. Mm. It completely changed who I was um, forever. Mm. And that's what suicide does, you know, to individuals and families and community. And then I think my life was redefined again when I held my son for the first time. Mm. And so those two things have really um, guided me in terms of living a life of purpose and following my passion. And so my passion has always been working with vulnerable young people. uh, And then, you know, after I lost my brother, really focusing around that mental health aspect and how do we support our young people on their mental health journey because I think our mental health system is flailing. Um, I don't think that, you know, it's extremely hard to get good support. Mm. And so how do we put in place and how do we support young people at at the very beginning, um, you know, when they're young to understand that they're not a bystander in their own mental health and actually there are choices and things that we can proactively be doing every day to ensure that we have good mental health outcomes. Yeah, absolutely well said. That's my my philosophy, you know, to be proactive and, and try and, you know, help people with the guidance and tools so they can be able to self-regulate and, and sort of be stable, you know. Um, it's a very reactive model that we're in, you know. It's, it's easy to... to to um, you know, prescribe pills. Sometimes they're they're necessary, but sometimes they're not. And uh, you know, a lot of people get sort of caught in that merry-go-round. And um, uh, yeah, I'm really really grateful to hear you say that because it's been my philosophy for a long time to you know, to have a mindset of prehabilitation over rehabilitation. I guess at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have. You know, we um, do a lot of. We put a lot of funding in, not enough, but we do, you know, we really look at once someone has been diagnosed or is in that critical phase, you know, what do we have in place? But really, there's not a huge amount that happens in that early intervention prevention stage, particularly focused or specific to young men. Um, But there is from the federal government, they've just released, released their national suicide prevention funding. Um, which was around 150 million and so that's really amazing to see that Mm. we're moving more towards that preventative space rather than trying to band-aid it Mm. when someone has been diagnosed with a mental illness yeah yeah well said um look if you're comfortable to talk about it what was the, the the circumstances with your brother had he battled with stuff for quite a while 
he had a, about a let me think an eight year battle uh, with bipolar mm. and and as an offset of that drug addiction um, which is quite often with people with chronic mental illness that you know I think it's around the 75 80 percent will have some form of addiction mm. and um, you know as a family that was devastating and it was devastating because it was so difficult for us to access care for him. Mm. And I think, you know, I think about, you know, we were a middle-class family, educated. We, you know, knew the questions to ask. We knew the people to call. And that support was still not there. Mm. And so for those families that don't have that sort of foundational support base, imagine how difficult it would be for them. Mm. And um, I think the system failed him and I think it failed our family and I think that he lived an extremely difficult life where he struggled every single day Mm. and um, he was in quite a good place when he took his own life he had a job um, he was off the drugs and I think he just realized he was never going to be happy Mm. and life was never going to be easy for him Mm. yeah really sad to hear that you know it's 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 amazing you know I, I I've I've been able to speak to guys that have sort of come out the other side and successfully manage it and talk to families of, of people like yourself that um, it's gone the other way you know it's it's such a fine line and it's interesting you know what happens with the chemistry in, in someone's mind and um, you know how, how how we can actually help people sort of regulate that you know as an early intervention um, you know I think it's really really important because if someone you know is sort of struggling and they're getting um you know the wrong guidance and advice it can be really really difficult for them and they they do lose hope but that sounds like what uh, what happened with your brother i guess yeah and i think one of the things that i talk about quite often is um that you know we can think of suicide as the end of the story but actually, it's just the start of the story for everyone who is left behind. Yeah. Um, because the impact of suicide is on family and on friends and is just forever. Yes. You know, you're always, it changes you forever. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, look, I uh, personally, no one in my family, but, you know, I've had good friends and, uh, and so forth and, and being close to that myself, you know, just through, through lack of self-awareness and, and that. Um, so for me, you know, it's important that I, I maintain my mental well-being, you know, by, by doing things and practices which, which stabilise that, I, I guess. And, um, yeah, you're right, like some of the, the, um, the uh, I suppose, episodes I've been involved with with regards to others, um, it's been... Um, certainly life's changing for for their families and also you know for everyone around them you know I was the last person to see a mate of mine years ago um, and um, you know he took his life uh, basically that evening and I, I basically didn't intervene I was only 20 or 21 at the time I sort of had an inkling that there was something wrong but I didn't didn't intervene so um, you know that could have been a different story um, you know come come forward sort of 20 or 30 years and what I'm doing now is um, you know totally the opposite sort of you know there's a guy recently here that um, was at that stage and I could pick it straight away and I went and intervened and, and he's still with us you know so it's sort of um, uh, 
Yeah, it's a journey. Uh, I can't beat myself up for that for that episode. Um, you know, I guess I, I, I need to, to put it down for, for a lack of awareness at the time. But, you know, I wish that young fella, um, he wouldn't be young anymore, but was still with us, you know. It was just a, a moment in his life where he was struggling, um, I guess, at the end of the day and didn't really know where to go, as, as a lot of guys don't, you know. They really don't know where to go to be able to sort of get seek guidance and support, I suppose, at the end of the day. And I think that's something that um, certainly the research tells us is that a young person is most likely to reach out to their peers first. Mm. And so how do we and how or how are we supporting and how are we educating our young people so that when their friends do come to them and say, hey, I'm not feeling great, Mm. they know what to do. Because that's a, a very scary place to be in um if you don't have the tools and you don't know what to say or um, what guidance to give and so you know in my mind mental health training should just be a part of school yes um it should be something that all of us go through so when we have things like are you okay day and you ask someone are they okay and they say no Mm. you know what to do you know we know what the next part of that conversation is Yes, that's right. Rather than just having an awareness day, it needs to be something that I believe is embraced and, and sort of, you know, part of people's uh, mindset with regards to how to react to these sorts of things if they do occur, um, you know, and, and really we don't have, in rural areas, we don't have the, the resources, um, you know, uh, where I am now, other parts of Australia in, in regional areas, there's no, we used to have cross assessment, assessment teams back in the day, CAT teams, and they'd come and respond if there was someone that was at risk. And, you know, now we really don't have that, you know. So to, to get, you know, immediate help, you've got to jump in a car with someone and drive to Brisbane or drive to, you know, uh, a major centre to be able to get that support. But, um, um, on the other end of the scale, like, you know, personally, I, I sort of run like a, a men's circle here and we, we get guys, you know, every every couple of weeks coming in and talking about uh, life, good and bad and all that type of thing, you know, so that's a real pre-ability of approach, but um, they know that they can talk to each other within that circle uh, if something does come up, which is, you know, something that... Um, that, that, that's able to sort of work as an intervention uh, in the immediate. Uh, but, you know, if someone's in crisis, then we obviously have to look at other um, other ways of, uh, of going about that in these, uh, in these sorts of locations, which can be tricky. And I think that is honestly the thing is when, you know, because Top Lokes works in that um, early intervention prevention space, a huge part of what we do is give young men the help-seeking skills mm. so that if they do have an issue they feel comfortable enough to actually reach out for help because so many of our young men don't do that. And we see them become more isolated and more siloed. Um, And, you know, sometimes they take their own life. And quite often we hear, we had no idea, we're in shock, we can't believe it. Um, Because young men are told, don't show emotion. It's weak to say that you need support. And so quite often the people around them don't even know Mm. um, what they're experiencing. Agreed. Yeah, look, you know, going going off on another angle, you know, the education system, I believe, has got a lot to answer for in many ways, uh, but also it can re-divert, so it can be more proactive in this space. And, um, you know, young men shouldn't be made feel like that. You know, I know coming through, I was particularly frightened and fearful of being judged and compared and criticised and all that type of stuff. 
And that goes into adult life, you know, with, with men. So we start to have that mindset where we, where we don't want to be, um, you know, labelled or judged or whatever, and we just keep things that contain within ourselves. And, and that can just, you know, manifest into, uh, into you know, um, uh, various, various things, which, which, which may be anxiety, depression, you know, maybe, um, maybe into another, another part where, you know, we, we end up sort of looking at suicide as the only way out because um, we're, we've sort of, you know, become so frustrated within ourselves. But that tension that, that gets held in our body, um, you know, is, is really terrible. We need to be able to learn to move that tension out. And, um, you know, a beer can can do it, you know, a bong can do it, but uh, it's only temporary, you know, I think... Um, my, my real passion is to be able to help guys, you know, understand uh, cortisol and all those sorts of things and how that's sort of, um, you know, reacting in the body and how to release that and being sort of uh, a little bit more aware of what's going on and to be able to let go of the things that aren't serving us, um, which we can easily get trapped in. It's, it's such a, a funny world now, you know, compared to what it was when I was a young fella and, um, uh, you know, it's... Um, more and more challenging, but I don't think it needs to be, you know, if we can sort of try and get back to the simplicity of things again, because we seem to complicate things, us blokes, pretty well. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it feels like some of the messages that we give out should be intuitive, but for a young person that's never really thought about it before, Mm. um, it can be quite eye-opening, like just little things, like understanding that, intrinsic link between mental health physical health and nutrition yes um and understanding how they all play off each other um you know if you're not feeling great mentally and you're having a packet of chips and a can of coke before you rock up to school Mm. you're probably not going to be feeling better by the end of the day Mm. and so what do we need to be putting into our body to fuel it you know if we're sitting and playing video games till 3 a.m and then getting up to go to school we're probably not going to be feeling better mentally and so you would be so surprised by how many um, of the young people we work with come back and just go, oh, my God, I'm going to bed. I'm getting up and I'm making my bed in the morning and I'm having breakfast and I'm going to school, you know, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden their entire outlook changes and they're getting a haircut and their hygiene's better and now they have a girlfriend and and it's just this knock-on effect. And it can seem minimal, but it's all of those little things that add up that... The research tells us gives a, a young man um, good mental health outcomes, resilience and engagement back into themselves and back into their peers and community. Absolutely well said. You know, one thing that we that we really get distracted away from early is um, what the body's trying to say to us. You know, we, we, we again react to that. You know, we, we're not proactive. So what, what is my gut teaching me here? When you when you you know your your gut is out of balance, it's going to obviously send signals to the brain, which is uh, uh, you know saying that there's something wrong. But we seem to be able to you know dismiss that quite easily and, and look for another intervention. But if we can help humans understand that relationship and how important that actually is, because really, like you you know if you we we talk about it in yoga as being a pana, so you know below below your ribs and that and that sort of part of your body and how that actually works with your prana, which is above your ribs, you know, so your breath and your digestion to be able to get that working in union together. I think it's really important because we just don't understand it. But let's face it, you know, Rach, like modern society is trying to throw us out of whack recently. They're trying to bombard us with bloody, you know, 
uh, junk food and all the things uh, which take us out of alignment primarily, you know. And um, so for a young guy to have the self-awareness uh, around that um, is, is, is really important, but also to be able to take an observation and, and sort of say, well, how's this food actually making me feel? You know, how can I get my things, uh, my, my body back into balance and rhythm again? And, you know, it's the same as with an older guy, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a young man or an older man, if you're, if you're not feeling well mentally, maybe have a look at what's going on um, you know, with your digestion and uh, how that's actually functioning, and that can really play a pivotal part on uh, the way you feel about yourself, but also about everything around you. I guess at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, I would agree. And so, you know, I think just giving those that foundational knowledge to our young men can go a really long way. And I, I just wanted to go back to what you were saying around, you know, the part that schools play because I think there is more and more pressure on schools to incorporate um, well-being as a core part of what they do and I think we're certainly um, there's a lot of push they're revising the national curriculum right now that mental health is a key part of curriculum and that there's time and space made within the curriculum for schools to do that Um, but I think too I want to acknowledge that it is difficult for schools I mean schools were never about mental health they're about getting people a job Mm, Um, and that was their core business and the nature of school is changing and um, the nature of education is changing because our world is changing and I think schools do acknowledge that we need to be spending more time on this but the question is what do we need to be teaching how do we need to be teaching it and who teaches it because if you went to, to university to become a maths teacher and you're a great maths teacher that doesn't mean that you're a great mental health teacher. Mm, Um, And so one of the things that, you know, particularly I think we were talking about a lot during, and we just saw that all of the state ministers have come together to say consent education is going to be a part of um, all schools and all curriculum now, which is so amazing. Mm. But I also think having, you know, Miss Smith who's taught maths for the last 40 years, then sit in a classroom with 25 young people and try and talk about pornography. <laughs> yeah. That's very unfair for Miss Smith mm. um, to put that on her because that was never, you know, what she was trained to do. And I think similar for mental health, we really need mental health professionals in school. We need adequate, adequate funding coming from the federal government down to the states to put impactful, rigorous um, mental health education into every school. Yes. Well said. And, and also, Rach, you know, the workplace uh, has, a, has a great um, opportunity to do the same, you know, rather than be reactive with it. Um, you know, if someone's not great, then send them to the AAP. Primarily, um, you know, be a proactive organisation and a transformational business rather than a transactional business. So, you know, you can actually help people um, with the guidance and tools and supports that they actually need to be able to keep them well. And I guess, you know, as, as humans, we really need to feel safe. If we're feeling safe in the workplace and we're guided and we're supported, then all of a sudden we stay there, you know. We don't sort of look to go outside that. And, um, you know, yeah, there's, a, there's a, a bit of a transformation hopefully happening with regards to the way that we're educated. So it's not just to support the economy. It's about, you know, supporting our well-being. And I just believe, uh, you know, the workplace um, can do the same, same as sporting organisations and so forth too, if they can sort of bring part of that into their uh, 
into their programs, then uh, then that's going to be a huge win, uh, not only for the individual, but also for the community and society in general. Absolutely. I mean, we would love to see that in workplaces more and not just having external supports, but internally, what a workplace is doing to support their staff's mental health. And that's, you know, having policies in writing. It's, you know, um, encouraging mental health days and yeah. understanding that that's a part of being human and that people need to have mental health days. Yeah. It's about taking away that stigma around going into work and saying, you know what, I feel super anxious today and it's really hard for me to be in this office. Yeah. Can I work from home or can I have a day off? And not feeling like you're going to be judged for asking for that. Mm, that's true, absolutely. And yeah, you know, we still have a... Um, a bit of work to do in that space, there's no doubt. Um, you know, primarily we have, uh, um, you know, still some fixed mindsets and some old thinking, um, but I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to change. You know, I, I, I believe some, you know, most companies are trying to do the right thing. They'll, they'll, they'll try and get someone in to speak or, or whatever occasionally, but it's got to be something which is embraced. And the same is with, uh, with the school system, you know, so it's got to be something which is which is all part of it, you know. We, we don't know how to manage our, our our life above the shoulders primarily and what's going on there. And uh, to be able to settle the mind and manage the nervous system is a real um, important aspect of being a human, you know. We're, we're not meant to be in flight and fight consistently. And, um, um, you know, society uh, with uh, all the luxuries and technologies that we have, you know, these days, um, you know, sort of puts us in that escalated state more and more. But... Um, if we can just learn to settle down and slow the mind and uh, start to uh, get back to our hearts again, I think that's a, a huge um, you know, way to be able to sort of become more conscious of our well-being at the end of the day. I think absolutely. I mean, what they say, 80% of a young person's life is online yes. now. So mm. their friendships, the way they connect, the way they engage, the way they learn. Uh, and we really don't understand the long-term effects of that. Uh, because it's so new. You know, I remember when I was in high school and I'm not that old, um, but we had one computer room. I think we had one computer lesson a week and you could play Tetris during the lunch hours. Yes. There were no mobile phones. There was none of that stuff going on. And so um, this is a really new phenomenon and we really don't know that much about what are the long-term effects when rather than in-person connection, so much of young people's connection is happening on the online space. Yes, and and really, that's that's you know getting back to, to, to understanding the nervous system. That that's something which is which is not great for us. You know, our our, our physiology gets thrown out of whack out of whack with it. So yeah, certainly it's it's got to be part of modern life now. But also to be able to balance that out, I think is really important. Um, you know, so helping helping people understand that at an early age is really key because their lives are totally different than ours, as you said. Like, um, you know, we, we, we didn't have screen time. We had more outside time and <laughs> and the functional stuff, I suppose, you know. So it's the same as someone in an office behind a, behind a screen, you know, to be able to balance that and also have employers embrace that, I think, is really important too. So, Rach, um, with regards to like your own your own journey so when did you decide that you wanted to do more um in the men's health space and, and how's that sort of evolved for you uh it's i will i had sort of left teaching um i had gone over to england to start an alternative education 
program over there within a mainstream school Mm. and the school was on an island off the coast of Kent and on that island there were three maximum security prisons and a steel mill Mm. and I had the 20 most disengaged violent young men out of a school of 3,000 and um, I did that for a year and then when I came back, I decided I needed a break because it's extremely emotionally, mm. I guess, draining working with young men like that. Yes. Um, and then I was working at the Queensland Art Gallery and doing some stuff there for a few years. And then I saw this job sort of working for an education not-for-profit around global citizenship, global competence, and how do we sort of reimagine curriculum for the 21st century. And worked there for seven years and loved being back in schools, loved really working with teachers and leadership teams to change schools, to re-engage kids back into their education. Mm. Um, And then I just saw the job for top blokes. Actually, a friend of mine was applying for it and I was sitting next to her and I said, oh, tell me about the job you're applying for. And she told me about it and I said, oh, no, that's my job. And I rang um, the COO and she said to me, oh, that job closed two weeks ago. We're doing interviews tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, I'm so sorry. And I said, oh, no, no, no. This is my job. I said, this is what I've done. This is who I am. And this is why I want to work for you. (laughs) And she said, you can get me, if you get me a resume in in the next hour, I'll accept it. I didn't even have a resume um, (laughs) because I hadn't, you know, applied for a job in seven years. So I was like, no worries got one through to her I had a phone interview with her the next day I did a zoom with the leadership team um three days after that and then I pitched to the board Mm. I had to do a a, a, um, half an hour pitch about what I would do to launch top blokes in Queensland and um got the job so it just felt a little bit like it was meant to be and it just incorporates all of those things that I'm passionate about good work and everything happens for a reason doesn't it you know so you you being proactive and 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 uh, and, and you know you know basically saying it's my job and moving forward that that's <laughs> that, that that that's pretty cool. But you know, like if you had to sort of procrastinate and, and never happened, then you'd be still doing what you're doing. But like, how many people are going to benefit from that? You know, like from you coming in with your experience and all those sorts of things to be able to create something. And it's it's so beautiful to. Um, to, to see, you know, what you do as an individual, but also what your organisation is doing because, yeah, the men's health space has been neglected for a long time. I, I started doing sort of stuff in this space down in Hobart years ago and then back in country Victoria and a bit more here, but I don't get any funding for anything and, you know, um, I'm just trying to do what I can to, to help help people at the end of the day, you know, and I, you talk about prisons. I've, I've been in prisons teaching yoga. I've been, you know, in there trying to help guys um, uh, with, with various... Uh, aspects of their life and being able to help, help, help them transition out and be successful rather than go back and you know there's 47% that do so it's, it's a crazy system and I just think that's all got to change as well because you know the trauma that's in those uh, fellows lives that are in there really wasn't uh, their fault a lot of the time you know so if we can help them heal I think that's uh, much more proactive than, than giving them more punishment at the end of the day you know so we've still got a lot of work to do and, and, and the world can be beautiful life can be beautiful if we actually you know, embrace it and, and, and help people along the way. I really believe that, you know. So it's awesome to sort of hear that, that you know, you're in this role and you're able to, um, you know, start to uh, to make a, a bit of a change out there. So can you tell us a bit about, about Top Blokes and, and how long it's been going and um, 
and whereabouts uh, it's operating around Australia? Yeah, absolutely. So Toplokes uh, started in New South Wales about 14 years ago and um, started down in sort of Wollongong, Illawarra. Now we're across Sydney, Western Sydney, Central Coast, Lake Macquarie, Newcastle, The Hunter. Uh, and then at the beginning of last year, we launched into Queensland schools, which was our first interstate expansion. Mm. And um, I don't think anyone really knew how it was going to go. We knew we'd had a lot of inquiries from Queensland schools, but COVID was happening, the border was closed. Um, but last year, we partnered with 30 schools across Brisbane and the Gold Coast, and we mentored just over 500 young men in our first year, mm. which was really incredible. And then probably two weeks after I started in the role, I started getting phone calls from Toowoomba and just saying, uh, we need you and we need you now. Uh, mm. And it's quite hard as a charity because we're ruled by our board to expand geographically. You have to put together a proposal. You have to present it to the board. The board has to agree and then we have to secure three years of core funding before we're allowed to do any expansion. Mm. Um, and so putting together that proposal, I think it really painted a picture in terms of what's happening in the Darling Downs. Mm. And that is that it has the second highest rate of suicide in Queensland. Mm. Um, it has the highest female to male suicide ratio. So for every one female that suicides, 7.5 males do. Mm. And 50% of those suicides are in people under the age of 35. Mm, unreal. Yeah. And so we were very, very lucky um, to form a partnership with the John Villiers Trust, which is a philanthropic organisation that gave us our three years of core funding to move into Toowoomba and the surrounds. Mm. Um, and I have to say the community up there is unlike any other that I have worked with. They are so supportive. They have welcomed us with open arms. We have some significant community partnerships up there that are doing some amazing fundraising for us so we can continue to expand and grow. We just launched our first programs last week into schools, uh, already getting amazing feedback from the young men that we're working with. And we're just really excited to um, grow into that sort of regional rural space in Queensland. Great, good to hear. Good to hear. That's that's my, my passion, you know, to to help help the areas, uh, regional, rural, and remote. Um, you know, uh, so the more we can do this thing, um, you know, particularly at, at an early intervention stage, I think that's great. You know, and um, yeah, it's <coughs> wonderful to hear that you're in schools, and, and who knows what will happen. We might be able to get something going up here in Central Queensland because it's definitely needed around here and uh, and further north as well. So you know, um, good, yeah, good timing. We would we would just. You know, I think there's not really another program like ours operating in Queensland. I think there are there are other mentoring programs and there are other um, sort of workshops and stuff around mental health. Mm. There's nothing that's particularly male-specific um, and long-term. So, mm. you know, we've heard of programs that go in and they get 100 kids in the hall and they talk about resilience or they talk about mental health. Um and they do a survey at the end and they get this really great impact. But if you went back in a week or two or two weeks or in six months, yeah. what impact is still there from that two hour workshop? Yeah, not much. Um, yeah. Not much. Yeah. And so for us, we're, there, we're in schools for six months. We work with really tailored groups of young men, so 12 at a time. 
uh, we are holistic in nature. So we talk about all the tricky things that young men are trying to navigate that affect their mental health. Mm. So really looking and starting at the decisions and choices they're making for themselves. So things like online behaviour, risk-taking, peer pressure, drugs and alcohol, anger management um, is a huge one. Because quite often, you know, I think when we think about a young man who's got poor mental health, we get that stereotypical image of someone sitting at a table with their head in their hands or someone who's sad. Mm. But for young men, poor mental health is generally personified as anger, aggression and violence. Yes, that's right. Because that's what they feel comfortable with. And so it's very easy to label them the naughty boy, to dismiss them as the bad boy. Um, and never actually dig deeper to find out what is going on for this young man. Mm, I was wondering. And so, <laughs> yes, so we, you know, really try to do that. We look at understanding and fostering mental health, giving them those key skills to um, create good mental health outcomes for themselves. Then we look at the relationships in their life. So respectful friendships, intimate relationships, pornography, consent, communication. Mm. Uh, we know on average young men um, will start watching porn at age 11. We quite that. often Jeez. hear of young men who are, you know, started watching porn at eight years old. Jeez, unbelievable. Um, and it really has a huge effect on the way that they can create and maintain healthy relationships in their life. Mm. And we know having an intimate partner is really integral to a young man's mental health. Um, because we all seek connection, but also because they're most likely to open up and talk to an intimate partner. They become their support network. Yes. Um, and so what we're seeing, if you start watching porn at 11, but you're still not having sex until you're 16 or 17 years old, you're having your entire education on love, sex and intimacy mm. through extremely high levels of high-violence pornography. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I heard someone talking about this the other day. And um, she said, we need to start thinking about porn as a teacher because porn is what is teaching our young people. And then we have to ask ourselves, what kind of teacher are they? Mm, <coughs> and how much do they care about their students? And the answer is they don't care about their students at all. Mm, no, I, so, I agree. Go ahead. Mm. Oh, so we're really doing a lot in that sort of space to have really frank conversations around young men about what their expectations are in an intimate partnership, what it should look like, what they should be aiming for, getting them to critically think about what they want out of it. Um, and, it's, and it's really amazing because what they want out of it is connection and love. Yes. But they're trained to think that it should be this performance or this act. Yes. Um, and then on the flip side of that, for our young women who are also watching porn, <coughs> um, they have a very unrealistic expectation of what love and sex should look like for them. Mm. We also know that young women um, are more likely to be sexually assaulted by than any other Australian, mm. and that the majority of offenders, as recorded by police, are 15 to 19-year-old males. Mm. Um, and that if you are aged 15 to 35 and you're a woman, your leading cause of injury, disability and death is intimate partner or domestic violence. Mm, incredible. I mean, those statistics are horrific. And so I think we're doing a disservice to both our boys and our girls 
if we're not talking about it with them, if we're not having those frank conversations. Mm. And then finally, we look at how they navigate community and diverse communities. So racism, sexuality, and power and privilege. Mm. Amazing. Rachel, that, that's, that's like so pleasing to hear. So many things were, were going through my brain while, uh, while you were saying this about some of the Indigenous communities I've been engaged with, some of the schools I've been engaged with over the years, um, all those sorts of things, and just how good a program like that would actually be to be able to cut to the chase really early and, uh, and you know, give guidance. I remember, like, this coming to me while you were speaking, that a school got me in um, back in Victoria to, to help some problematic youth, and I just sat uh, around a table with them and just de-escalated them back to their hearts again and got them talking about their life, why they're behaving a certain way. And it's really interesting, you know, they hated school, this, that and the other, and the stuff behind it. Just just getting off track a little bit, there was one young guy there, I used to play sport with his old man, his old man's a big drinker and all that. And he said to me, um, uh, I want to be a professional skateboarder or scooter rider, you know, and, I, and everyone had laughed at him because of that. Um, and you know, cut a long story short, I looked on Instagram the other day, and here he is. He's just got a professional contract with some mob in America, you know. So, oh, wow. On that day, I helped him understand that he can do anything he wants with his life, where where everyone else would just shut him down, shut him down, you know, do it, mate. These things are going to open up for you, and so forth. And away you go. But. But isn't that amazing because every individual's got something in them that lights that fire, uh, you know, and has that spark. And if you can help them explore what that spark is, then the behaviour will start to, to, to potentially change. And then, you know, start to create and build the life from there. And, yeah, it's, geez, you know, it's, it's really interesting to hear you talking about pornography. And I, I'd never even considered looking at any of that sort of stuff when I was a little fella. But... But yeah, if kids are getting access to that stuff now, as they probably are with all the technology that we have, then how much of a disruption disruption can that be to their to their growth and development, and uh, and obviously what the flow on effect is to that with domestic violence and all those sorts of things, you know. So, what you guys are doing at that at that core level is really really important, um, you know, for future generations. With a lot of the work that I've done with prisoners and so forth too. A lot of them are in there for domestic violence, you know, because they're, they're having that battle, like you mentioned, uh, around, uh, you know, the way they treat women, um, all those types of things, you know. So we're, we're being really reactive with regards to punishing people, but to be proactive, I think it's so important, you know, and, and it's great to hear, you know, the work that you're doing. And I think that's a huge part of it. You know, the federal government in their next budget has um, promised $1 billion towards uh, preventive violence against women, mm. 3% of that will go towards prevention. Mm. 97% will go towards, you know, domestic violence, shelters, therapy, which is 100% needed. Mm. And the funding should never be taken away from that. Mm. But we do need to start seriously investing in that prevention space. Mm. Um, you know, of the 3%, uh, the majority of that will go towards public education campaigns to broaden um, the definition of domestic violence to in include things like coercion. It's not actually going even into education or prevention to young men. And I honestly believe that if you have a happy, connected, engaged man, he does not go home and beat up his wife. Yes, yeah, absolutely. 
And so, you know, the, we, we're doing a disservice and we do a disservice to both our boys and our girls when we don't invest in our young people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I was sent to the timeout room all the time when I was a young fella, <laughs> but no one ever uh, questioned why you're behaving that way, you know. Um, no, and, that, and that, I think that's the thing, and particularly for the young men that we work with that do come from complex home lives that have experienced intergenerational trauma, intergenerational domestic violence, intergenerational drug and alcohol dependency. One of the biggest questions is how do we get them to aspire to want more than what they currently see around them? Mm. How do they even know what more looks like? And once they know what more looks like, how do they know what choices to make to get there? Yes. Um, because if you have only grown up and that's what you see in your neighbourhood, how do you know what different looks like? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, exactly right, and that that's that that's true. You know, it's uh, uh, we're all we're all victims of our environment primarily. You know, some have had better ones than others. Um, you know, I, I believe we've all got something within us that, that 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 wants that love and affection and everything like you said and support and being made feel safe. You know, being reactive is not a great way to live. It's it's not. You know, you're always chasing, but if you can be calm and balanced within yourself and help people. With the tools to learn that, then we've, we've got a chance, you know. Uh, and I just think um, what you guys are doing, geez, that's that's really, you know, really awesome to hear. I hadn't realised it was at that level, but you know, you, you need to be proud of yourself. And these guys were starting it off back when they did because they they had a vision then, and uh, obviously that vision's really, you know, needed now in, in modern society. So, yeah, absolutely. And so we'd love to see. Um you know, we'd love to see more schools accessing our services. We'd love to see more schools putting a focus on that mental health space and understanding that um, sometimes these things are gendered. So there should be opportunities for girls and boys to have their own um, well-being that's targeted towards their needs. And then there should be opportunities for girls and boys to come together. Yes. Absolutely well said. No, I, I, I agree. Yeah, that's it. So certainly, you know, great timing uh, with regards to getting this into Queensland and uh, and the need to, to bring those uh, those skills and so forth into people's lives. So, mate, uh, Rachel, I'm, I'm so grateful for the conversation. What What's the best way for, uh, for people to reach out to you or to, to have a look at the work that you're doing? I think um, that if they can just... Have, go onto our website. All the information is there. You can get in contact us through the web um, through the website. So if they just Google Top Blokes Foundation, uh, we come up first. And yeah, have a look. We work in primary schools, high schools, and we also have a post high school, so it's seventeen to twenty four year old program. So we're working with young men from the age of ten all the way up to twenty four. Mm, great work, great work. Well, watch this space. You've come into this role at the right time, and uh, yeah, um, certainly. Uh, much needed so um really appreciate the chat and i'm, I'm sure we're going to have more in the future and i'd like to maybe get some more people from your organization on to have a have a yarn at some point in time i think it's really important and hopefully help it grow uh, within other states and communities because it's it's very needed and it sounds like the work you've been doing in toowoomba has been embraced and it's going well so if that can be duplicated um, even better so good stuff awesome thanks for the time today aaron i really appreciate it